we have on the line finally here after technical uh, nightmares, uh, Jim Mosley, publisher of Saucer Smear, among many, 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 many other things, and his newest book, which came out, what, about a year ago, Jim? Yeah. Called Shockingly Close to the Truth, The Adventures of a Grave-Robbing Ufologist. Did I get that right? That is correct. I guess we can talk about the book, but the book is basically your, it's an autobiography of how you got into the UFO and, and antiquity stealing yeah, business. You can talk about anything. It's your show. All right. Ask me about my sex life, uh, <laughs> but that'll uh, be a lot of dead air. So, what recently or just uh, well, over the uh, recently? Yeah. Well, it's you have to spend you have to spend more as you get older. I think. <laughs> well, that's the trouble. I don't have as much money as I had when I was younger, so that there may be a correlation. Actually, how, why did you even get interested in UFOs? Is it because you weren't getting laid, or what? Uh, no, there was no direct correlation on that. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> it's an interesting theory. I had an intellectual curiosity, uh, as I said in my talk today. I heard about the Kenneth Arnold sighting. I'm not sure if I heard about Roswell. That was about the same time, just about ten days later. But I, I was aware of the fact that there was a saucer field, you might say, although not really a field, but there were things going on every so often uh -huh. that involved mysterious objects. Am I coming through all right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, from, I guess, 47 on, I was aware of saucers and curious intellectually, and finally, in uh, 1953, I met a professional writer who uh, encouraged me to uh, make a trip around the country and take notes and make interviews with all the people that were worth interviewing, uh, people that had been mentioned in various early UFO books, and that's just what I did, and that's how I started in the field. That book never uh, took place uh, for various reasons, and uh, I never did write a book until last year, but all through these years I've had my magazine under different titles. And it started, the, the magazine started out as Saucer News? Uh, well, yes, uh, let's, uh, that's the easy answer. There was a, a name, Nexus, meaning Connecting Link, uh -huh. that we used the first year. And funny enough, you probably know there's a magazine from Australia uh, that exists now called Nexus. Right. Right. I once wrote them a facetious letter uh, claiming that I had the right to the word nexus because I had used it in in 1954 and uh, they were using it now and I wanted to know uh, what <laughs> what they were going to do for me and I never heard from them. I, uh, it was sort of tongue-in-cheek and they, they took it seriously. I guess they gave it to their lawyer who threw it in the scrap basket. <laughs> yeah, people are trying to... Uh copyright all kinds of words now, big companies. Yeah, well, Nexus is actually in the uh, dictionary. Which means you can't copyright it. I guess, yeah. Well, I, I was kidding them, but I'm sure they have no sense of humor. Speaking I get a feedback, I think it's in my phone. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's all right. Uh, speaking of, um, of not being serious or playing a joke on somebody, at, at one point, maybe more than one point, 
you had conspired to uh, to uh, poke fun at uh, a figure in ufology who took himself a little bit too seriously, and other people did too. Do you want to talk about? I mean, could we talk about that? Well, I, I don't know which figure. I've, I poked fun at so many. Ooh. Okay, well, let's start with the biggest one, which was George Adamski. Yeah, well, I didn't exactly poke fun at him. I that was one of the few serious investigations I ever did. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in '53, when I made my famous trip to California for the first time, as far as saucers were concerned, I interviewed George Adamski and most of his witnesses to his first contact with the space people, which was what they called the desert uh, contact, and that was. Uh, uh, Desert Center of California, and it happened, I think, in 1952. Yeah, so, it's right near the border with Arizona. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly where it is, uh, but uh, that Ripley, was that was his, his claim to fame, and that was the principal thing in uh, his first book, uh, Flying Saucers Have Landed. Uh-huh. Now, that was co-authored with Desmond Leslie from England. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, I want to make sure the audience is, though. I mean, he was one of the early contactees. Yeah, well, Desmond Leslie was just talking about historical sightings, and and he had a name, and he had some money, and so forth. And and the um, book was written by him, and the Yadamski thing was just put in as an afterthought, you might say. Most of the book was uh, by Leslie, and... A little bit of it, maybe 20 pages or something, was the Dansky story, and that was what caught on. Uh-huh. It was called, like, a, a Contact in the Desert or something like that. I can't remember what the chapter was called. No, I, I don't remember the name of the chapter. But anyway, that really made a big splash. And he called himself Professor, so uh, people, even I, as a young, naive person, assumed that he was a, a professor, but he wasn't. He was self-appointed and... You know, mm-hmm. just uh, talking. He'd been he'd been messing around with uh, with uh, hokey religion stuff for quite a while before that too. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he had something called the the monastery at Long Beach or something like that, and he had well, a card. Yeah, well, there, there was something about Tibet. I remember in one of his earlier things, going all the way back to, I think the. Uh, 30s, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, he had a book called Conquerors of Space, A Trip to the Moon, Venus, and Mars that he wrote as a science fiction story, right. too. So for him, science fiction came true. Or at least for people who followed him. Um, and what did you find out from these people that went out to this supposed meeting in the desert with uh, space? Well, uh, I never, you know, pieced every little part of the puzzle together, but uh, what it appears to have been... George Hunt Williamson, who was one of his witnesses and who is another interesting uh, character and contactee from from that era, Uh, Williamson uh, went into a trance and uh, they tape recorded something uh, at home, so to speak, in uh, Palomar Gardens where Adamski lived, and that told them ahead of time where to go and you know, and uh, what time to be there, and so forth. So there was something set up ahead of time that would suggest a, a saucer landing and suggest a spaceman at some distance away on the desert. No one but Adamski walked up to the spaceman. The other 
witnesses stayed behind and watched through, as we say, high-powered field glasses. <laughs> yeah. Did they so, all I mean, tell you it, that? It, it was a nothing type of hoax, but that was a simpler era, and um, it went over very well. And, uh, you know, I never disliked Adamski. He, he wasn't doing any harm. Uh, probably George Bush is doing more harm right now than Adamski ever did. <laughs> if you want to put it that way. Well, that's not hard. But uh, he was a harmless man, and he had a, a philosophy of peace and love and light and goodness and kindness and all that nice stuff, you know? Right. Um, there was nothing really wrong with it, except it was him, not any space person. Then why did you send him a letter uh, saying that the government supported him? Well, <laughs> well, why wouldn't I if I thought that his uh, message was... Uh, was helpful. Uh, as you no doubt know, Gray Barker and I uh, got together one evening, I think it was in 57, and uh, we wrote a number of letters to different uh, saucer personalities of that era because a friend of Gray Barker's had gotten genuine stationery uh, from Washington from various uh, government agencies, etc., such as the State Department. So yeah. We took, yeah, we took a sheet from the State Department, and uh, Gray typed out a letter supporting Adamski, which uh, we mailed to him, and I don't know if he believed it or not, but he was smart enough to run with it. And that's when he got in trouble, because there's an FBI file on him, which uh, we were talking about today at, at the uh, convention. And I haven't seen it, but I'm sure that they were very upset because uh, they didn't want it to be uh, spread out as he was doing the idea that uh, the government secretly supported his claims. Right. I mean, because they didn't. He got visited once or twice, and they said, uh, "Could you lay off it? It's, it's not. This isn't true." And then he thought it was some kind of cover-up, and it was true. And he got even more vocal about it. Oh, oh, oh! The more they tried to hush him up, the louder he got. Each, is, <laughs> it's as true today as it was then. The government has no sense of humor, and uh, <laughs> he took the valid attempts to hush him up as further proof that the letter was genuine. Uh-huh. And, and there's a few people, even today, hardcore Adamski followers who are still alive and who still believe that the letter was genuine and that uh, the hoax was my confession. Uh, that, you confession know, was, of what? Huh? Confession that you worked for the State Department? No, no. in other words, that I came forth to uh, discredit Adamski by claiming it was a hoax. Oh, I see, yes. Yeah. So they got it ass backwards. Didn't I thought there was some other ufologist before before you admitted it? While Barker pro- maybe was still alive, that had figured out it probably was Gray Gray Barker yes. that had typed it because it has had the same typeface as his typewriter. Uh, exactly. Uh, it was a, a man who's totally unknown today, uh, but his name was Lonzo Dove. Oh yeah. And he was an amateur astronomer from Virginia. And I never met him, but he was very precise. He believed in saucers, but he didn't believe in the contactees. And uh, he uh, wrote an article for Saucer News that uh, 
went into detail about the typeface and so forth and pinned the straight letter on, on Gray Barker. <laughs> and uh, I refused to print it, so then he got an idea that uh, I might be in on it, and he got angry with me after that, and I didn't hear any more from him. I assume he's dead by now. Lonzo Dove, you mean? Huh? Lonzo Dove, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And Gray Barker. Well, we know and, Gray and Barker. And George Adansky. We're talking about ancient history. Talking about a, bu- a bunch of dead people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, Jim, you could use that uh, Yogi Berra phrase. You could, um, most of the people my age are dead. <laughs> oh, uh, I hadn't heard that one. I've heard several of them. That's a good one, yeah. <laughs> well, I could start saying the same thing. I'm 72 now, and I, a lot of the people that are dying around me are younger. Uh-huh. Hey, uh, Jim, this is Ralph here. Yes. Hey, I got a question for you. You were around since the start of ufology. Do you find that it was more fun then than it is now? Hey, that was my question. Well, it was, but it's not only a question of ufology itself. It's a question of me as a person and my attitude and uh, my level of enjoyment. At, at this exact point in time now, I'm sort of becoming a tired old man. In the early days, I was young, and it was fun. I had more money, and everything was just uh, fun and games, you know. And uh, that's how the 60s and 70s were for me in in the UFO field. Now, uh, again, not to be political, but uh, the whole vibe of the country is heavier. I think that makes a difference. Uh, There's no room for nonsense anymore in a certain way of thinking and uh, it, it I don't think I can enjoy this as much as I used to maybe other people coming up with uh, their own ideas of truth and driven by this that or the other they may be just as vigorous as anybody back there was uh, you, but I am not part of that you, you know use what the I'm you use the word nonsense can you define what you mean are you saying early ufology was nonsense? Well, I think that there is something to the UFO mystery. There is something real going on. I assume it's 4D, for want of a better word, but uh, uh, there is something out there. It's not all nonsense, but maybe fun and games would be a better term, which I think I used a moment ago. It, it, It didn't seem as serious. It didn't seem to matter as much if it was true or not, and uh, the uh, characters were more interesting and uh, perhaps less heavy in their approach than some of the people now. Do you think the characters in early ufology as opposed to the characters in ufology today were more in it for the fun and companionship as today they're just yeah, in it to make a buck, to sell... Yeah, yeah a, that's, uh, that's part of it. And, and the whole thing was more simplistic. These... Wonderful people from other planets, always looking like an ideal image of a human being, um, were communicating with these contactees and telling them obvious platitudes like, you know, save the environment, don't use the atom bomb and all that. And uh, you don't really need space people to tell you that if you spend a couple of minutes thinking about it. it. It was more simplistic. A fellow named Gabriel Green, 
uh, had the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America, whatever the initials of that are, and uh, he uh, glibly ran for president in uh, 1964, and his motto was, Abe in 1864, Gabe in 1964. <laughs> yeah, but weren't people in early ufology selling too? I mean, wasn't that what the giant rock conventions were all about? They were just tables and tables and tables full of oh, people yeah, selling oh, were, stuff? I don't say it's not, it was non-commercial. Oh, I didn't mean that at all. Of course, everybody wanted a buck, but I, I don't think uh, their thinking was as complex as it is now. What would be your advice to somebody that's just now getting into ufology? And let's say that they're, uh, you know, they're the age uh, you were. You were when you get a job in the computer industry that pays well, and don't bother with this. Uh, <laughs> that, don't don't off bother. The top of my head, that would be my advice. Don't bother with what? Don't bother with what? Well, this is a peripheral thing, and there's very little money in it for anybody, even the few that are trying to make a living off of it. I mean. Uh, there are so many other things to do. If you keep it as a hobby, I guess, and keep it under control, um, it's all right, but uh, it, it's not going to do it for you in most cases. Right, okay. All right. <laughs> now, uh, you met, uh, of course, you know him, I'm sure, quite well, Tim Beckley. Yeah. He, he makes a living from this, and a few others do, but uh, it, it's a hard road. Yeah, it's a very hard road. He has to have a sideline in uh, porno videos to actually make ends meet. Yeah, uh, you're starting to fade out again. Oh, sorry. I, I said he actually has to have a sideline in um, vampire, lesbian, porno to actually yeah, make yeah, ends well, meet. Yeah, well, that's Tim, yeah. Tim is uh, Mr. Uh, Creepo. Uh, he's Mr. Creepo, that's right. Right. That the, he used to be Mr. UFO. Now he's Mr. Creepo. Well, he's both. Uh, oh, is he? on the environment. Whatever he makes him the most money at, at once. Greg, who's the yeah. guy? No, I, I like him. I mean, because he doesn't have any pretense. I mean, he has some level of belief, I think, in general. He's not a complete cynic, but he's trying to make a living, as, as he's said many times. I Greg, give the public what they want. And they may want this or that. I mean, different people, of course. Yeah. Whatever it sells is what he gives us. Who's the guy out in Ukaipa? Video Dave? Who's that guy? Do you know who I'm talking about? There was a guy out in Ukiah called Video Dave or UFO Video Dave or something like that. I think I've heard of him, yeah. He used to have a... He, I remember one time I saw a video of him. Um, it was like some Gulf Breeze video, I think. And what he was doing, it sounded like he was really drunk and he would narrate the video. He wouldn't just show you the video of these lights flying around or going through the trees or whatever or doing these strange aerobatics. He would actually narrate them as they were going on in case you were blind or something. Yeah. And he was drunk out of his mind, or at least it sounded like because he was really slurring his words. And in the background, he had Ride of the Valkyries playing on a record. And you could tell it was a record because, one, it was all scratchy, and, two, when it got to the end of the record, he'd let the video keep going, then he'd pick up the needle and put it back at the beginning of the site again, and then come running back and <laughs> keep up his yeah, commentary. I, whatever happened to him, I think I had some contact with Video Dave. Or Video Somebody. It might have been Video Sam. I don't remember. I think it was Video Dave, but that, that's all he did was just narrate these videos drunk, drunk out of his mind with Ride of the Valkyries or some kind of dramatic music playing in the background on a is, record player. Is, is he still around? Does anybody know? I haven't heard from him in years. This was like 90s. 
five or four when I when I first heard of him. Uh, I don't know what yeah, happened. Yeah, I him. I touched with him I think a couple of times. Uh, I might have talked to him on the phone. I never knew him. Speaking of characters, who who have been your you know? Could you recall any favorite characters like that, or Adamski, or? Um, well, uh, let uh, let me light a cigarette since you're uh, on an informal station. It'll take ten seconds. Go go right ahead, Jim. Have a drink too. Well, James Mosley is lighting a cigarette. We'll remind you that Coke. this is KillRadio.org. KillRadio.org and um, Radio Misterioso. Uh, yeah, to answer him. that off the top of my head, I Go think ahead. the most weird character I ever met was Carlos Allende. Now, you know who he was? I know who he was, but you know, why don't you give a short background for people? Well, there's the Philadelphia Experiment, which allegedly occurred in 1943 uh, in the Philadelphia Naval Yard, if I recall. Yes. And it's a long thing, but uh, the... Navy was making some dreadful experiment um, trying to achieve invisibility for a ship. And um, according to some versions of this, Einstein and other great scientists of that era were involved in this. And uh, what they wanted to do was to, as I just said, achieve invisibility. And they had to do with some electromagnetic field of some weird sort. And the experiment went wrong, and the ship, this is the hard part to swallow, disappeared from there and appeared in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, the naval yard or some such, and then went back to where it started. But in the course of all that, uh, the sailors were either vaporized or driven insane, and terrible things happened. Uh, um, It was an interdimensional experiment, I, I suppose. And uh, there are two people that I know of who claim to be survivors of this. Uh, the most recent one is uh, Al Bielik. Right. Right. And he's still around, and I've talked to him, and I've met him, and he seems uh, quite sane, really. Uh, you know, the content of what he's saying is hard to believe, but especially since he's still alive and could sue, I uh, certainly... I'm not uh, putting him down completely. Um, I know that Carlos Allende is not alive, so that's another story. You can say what you want. Uh, I was one of the few people in the UFO field that was privileged to meet Carlos. Uh, he was born as Carl Allen in Pennsylvania. Right. And somehow, in the course of his travels, he spent a lot of time around the Mexican border in the southwest. And he changed his name to Carlos Allende. Oh, it's a long That's story, a but he uh, claimed to be a survivor of the Philadelphia experiment. He was involved in what is known as the Vero edition of Morris K. Jessup's book, uh, which was called, help me here. What uh, was the Case book? for the UFO? Uh, the Case for the UFO, yeah. Yeah. And anyway, uh, for many years, Carlos Wendy was like a mythical character. Very few people met him. He would correspond in these insane letters with a lot of people, uh, talking about magnetic this and that and talking about the Philadelphia experiment and all kind of rambling, hard-to-understand nonsense, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But one time, uh, probably in the 70s, 
when I went down to visit Gray Barker in Clarksburg, West Virginia, and he and I were friends. I'd go down there quite often, three or four times a year, and visit him for a weekend, and one or two times a year he'd come up to New Jersey, where I lived. But anyway, one of the times with, that I was visiting him in Clarksburg, without forewarning, uh, Carlos Allende appeared. and uh, Showed up on Gray Barker's doorstep? Yeah. Just came and... On one dark up, and stormy uh, night. Huh? One dark and stormy <laughs> night. Well, I only know a couple of other people in the field that ever met Carlos Allende. Funny yeah. enough, one of them was Edward Condon, the head of the Condon Committee. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Allende went there once and uh, interviewed Condon. And I talked to Condon on the phone after that, and this was before I had met him myself. All of this is coming back to me now as I speak, and I asked Condon what was he like. And uh, <laughs> Condon's phrase was, well, he didn't froth at the mouth. And the rest of what he said, though, was not complimentary. Uh-huh. So anyway, uh, uh, Carlos spent the evening with us. Uh, Gray purported to be poor, and I guess I had more money at that time, certainly, than he did. So we bought him dinner, and then we took him over to Gray's apartment, and Gray saw a uh, financial opportunity to record uh, Carlos's uh, ravings and uh, you know make some kind of a thing out of it and sell it and they spent all evening doing that and I just sat there and drank and I uh, never really got the gist of what Carlos had to say Uh, did he uh, ever try and sell that tape oh yes oh he absolutely did sell it commercially through his Caesarian press and uh, there's a holy grail he never split with Carlos I mean he's expected to get something out of it and he probably deserved to and uh, sometime after that maybe a year or something on that order um, Carlos wrote a scathing letter to uh, Barker uh, telling him off for, for not having given, given him any money from that tape and I, I don't know really what the story was there Hey uh, Jim, Jim can, uh, I, can I ask you about uh, Gray's uh, sodomy case or is that in poor taste? Uh, I think even on uh, uh, etheric radio, I think we could skip it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know if anyone is listening to this except me and you, but I, I, I would tell you more about it off the air. Oh, all right. Uh, fair enough. Um, people for the longest time, I think, till after he died, didn't know he was gay. Although Coral Lorenz and apparently suspected it or knew it and had was. Uh, was prejudiced against him because of that. Probably exactly. also because of making a lot of noise with contactees and. Coral uh, Lorenzen is head of uh, APRO. That she didn't like Gray Barker because he used too much lipstick. <laughs> and Gray Barker did not use lipstick. I, I can say that in his defense. Did Don McCulty use lipstick? Huh? Did Did Don McCulty use lipstick? Nobody used lipstick. <laughs> I guess we. We've cleared up another mystery, haven't we? <laughs> and, he, and, he, and Gray wrote wonderful poetry about what he thought about the UFO field. Was he actually serious about the UFO field, or is he just trying to make a buck off it? What, what was his well, you know, real feeling about it? That's a good question. I think I'm the only one that can answer that. I think at the beginning, he thought there was something to it. He was extremely 
intrigued by the Albert K. Bender story, which is another long thing. And he thought maybe that Bender had actually been visited by men in black and actually been told an answer. Maybe he had some weird attraction to Albert K. Bender as a as a person. I have no idea, but he Al really... was a weird guy. Huh? Albert Al Bender was a weird guy. Oh yes, absolutely. I met him a few times. And think... uh, uh, so, to make a long story short, over uh, a short period of years, I forget how long, Gray could see as a rational person that the Bender story didn't make a whole lot of sense. And I think when he finally lost faith in the Bender story, I think that was the end of his serious belief in any aspect of ufology. But uh, number two, I would add, Gray was a film uh, distributor, distributor yeah. and uh, he worked uh, for drive-ins. At his peak, he had about 30 drive-ins that he booked for down in West Virginia. And uh, he was a frustrated uh, producer, director, etc., etc., of movies. He was intrigued and drawn to make-believe and wonderment. And uh, the so same thing that he got out of horror movies or any fictional movie was the same kind of thing that he got out of the UFO field. He saw it as entertainment, not as truth. And that was the level that he operated on. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I don't think he had much, if any, belief in it at all in his later years, no. Do you think there's any way that we could find Al Bender today? Do you have any leads on where he is? Yeah, uh, there's a fellow whose name does not occur to me off the top of my head, but who I was in touch with up until a year or two ago, who in turn had been in touch with Al Bender up to a year or two ago before that. And Al Bender lives uh, probably, (laughs) he could be next door to you, I don't know. He's somewhere out here in the Los Angeles area, and uh, he has, uh, I think they corresponded through a P.O. box, but uh, the thing that this guy had in common with Bender was not saucers, it was music. Um, Al Bender is, is little known, and I don't know who would really care, but Al Bender was also a, a music freak, and he was the president of the... Uh, Oh, uh, what's the first name? Steiner. Yeah, Rudolf Steiner. Oh? No, um, it's um, uh, Max Steiner. Yes, Max Steiner. Uh, composer of TV, I mean, of movie soundtracks from the 30s many, and 40s. Many, many uh, very important yeah. movie soundtracks, right. So uh, Bender was head of his local Max Steiner fan club. Uh-huh. And... Uh, so this other fellow that I know and I can't think of the name of is a music composer that worked with the Gershwins, he claims, and others and so forth. And uh, through all of that, he got to know Bender and kept in touch with Bender until, as I say, relatively recently. But Bender, the reason I don't go after any clues that might come out of this is because uh, Bender made it clear to him that he simply... Um, would not have anything more to say or any uh, part of any further 
exploration of the flying saucer thing. He's totally off it, and has been for many years. And uh, so, I mean, there's just nothing to pursue. Oh, I yes, I got Bender's P.O. box at one time, uh-huh. going back a few additional years, and I did write to him, and uh, the letter didn't come back to me, you know, address unknown or something, but uh, he never answered. So I, I think the t- chances of really making contact with Bender is very slim. I had heard that somebody had found him and, and gone up to his door, and he'd kind of thrown them off the porch and said, I'm not interested in that anymore, anymore and I don't want you around me, and get away from my house, and don't talk to me anymore, and basically, you know, chased him off the lawn. Um, and well, it, how long ago was that? Oh, probably 10 or 15 years ago, maybe but in, more. in California? Yeah, out here in L.A. somewhere. Yeah. Well, that sounds possible, yeah. Would you ever become like that, Jim? Pardon me? Would you, would you ever become like that, Jim? Like what? Like Al Bender is now. You just, like, throw people, uh, you know, off your well, porch. Well, I don't know I'd be throwing people out. I, I don't know anything uh, about him in recent years. Uh, I didn't know that much about him in the first place, you know. He, he was a uh, uh, foreman in some kind of a factory in Bridgeport when I knew him. And uh, he came and lectured for my group in New York City a number of years after his hush-up. And then he wrote a book, uh, oh, probably in the 60s, uh, called Flying Saucers and the Three Men, I I believe. And, you know, nobody accepted it. It was just ridiculous science fiction. He was the one that coined the term men in black, I believe. Yes. The very first one, and then um, Gray Barker helped him to kind of publicize it, because I guess he published his, uh, uh, not Flying Saucer, what was Bender's first book that mentioned men in black? Was well, it Flying Saucer? No, Gray Barker's book was They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucer. Yeah. And then many years later, Barker urged uh, Bender to come forward with a book finally telling all the things that he couldn't tell. And that in, in itself makes no sense. But he wrote this book, which was just... Did Gray make money off of... They knew too much about flying saucers? That was his biggest uh, product, right? Oh, Gray? Yeah. Well, he made some money with that book. It sold quite well, yeah. I mean, his business was the uh, theater business, and the other thing he was in was flying saucers, uh, whatever he could do, his magazine... Uh, selling other people's books, writing a book himself. Mm-hmm. He wrote a few books himself, uh, mostly self-published uh, in the Sotherian Press. Yeah. yeah. And then some were reprinted by um, Neville Spearman, or, yes. Uh, yes. which is a British publisher. And then there was one here that did all the contact e-books, the name Amherst, which was Ray Palmer's uh, right. book company. One of the ones I liked best uh, was... Uh, Gray Barker's Book of Giant Rock. Oh, yes, I have a copy of that. There's a picture oh, of him oh, on the... Oh, you got that. Yeah, there's a picture of him on the front with kind of smiling with giant rock in the background, and then a picture on the back of the back of his head. <laughs> there you go. That's it. I don't think I have it. I should. That's the collector's item. I'm in there. <laughs> yes, there's a picture of you in there with angelic wings coming out of your back. I didn't know that. Yeah, that, well, it, 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 somebody had drawn them in, I, I think some... some uh, psychic or sensitive that was a giant rock said, I see giant angelic wings coming off of Jim Mosley and then drew them in on your picture. <laughs> and, and, and it's published with the wings. Yes. 
Well, that's terrible. I think I should sue, but it might be a little too late. <laughs> um, well, earlier, actually, we were... Oh, you know what? You, you talked about that one uh, hoax that you'd perpetrated on George Damsky. Is there anything else that you wanted to come clean with at this point? Well, uh, what I started to say was the night that we wrote that letter, we wrote similar weird letters to four or five other people in the saucer field. And... Uh, some of them realized that it was a hoax and didn't pursue it, and some got upset about it. I think we sent some kind of a crazy letter to Coral Lorenzen and uh, another one to the people in uh, uh, Civilian Saucer Intelligence of New York, which was uh -huh. one of the early flying saucer groups. Right. And uh, we sent probably six of them, each on a different letterhead. And... Uh, we did it uh, on a whatever a Saturday night and uh, Sunday or Monday I was driving back to New Jersey and I made a point of driving through Washington which I wouldn't ordinarily have done and I mailed them all from Washington uh, <laughs> uh, but the others didn't uh, didn't really didn't take the bait. make a big uh, stink or anything I think the only one that really became important was the straight letter uh-huh you know, anybody that knew Gray Barker would have immediately uh, suspected him because he had a, a, a funny thing. Instead of saying, Dear X, in the solidation of a letter, he would always say, My Dear X. <laughs> and uh, the letter, the straight letter begins, My Dear Professor, or something of that sort. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure. Oh, it's in the... <laughs> index or rather the the appendix of my book i could just go look and uh, tell you exactly what it says hey jim you know some people think that you might be involved with the aliens or you might even be oh, an alien yeah. or you might be involved with the government is there any truth to that i probably not but uh, uh what's her name um, uh ann gruffle in introducing me today i don't know if you were there she facetiously suggested that I am an alien pretending to be an Earth person and infiltrating the culture and all kinds of stuff. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe I've, I'm a robot that has been programmed to to uh, foister dissent in the saucer field. There's all kinds of possibilities, most of them improbable, but none of them completely impossible. Yeah, some people really, really dislike you, that you, you're just a rebel oh, yes. rouser. Well, uh, Travis Walton doesn't like me. Uh, I'm sure uh, he's not the only one. Well, uh, God, are there others? Why doesn't Travis like you? Did he say that to your face? Well, I met him once at a convention in uh, Florida, Gulf Breeze or thereabouts, a few years ago, and he was very frigid when I introduced myself and the next time I saw him the second time was uh, today and uh, or and yesterday because he spent the night here and I don't know I didn't bother to pursue it but I, I went up to him I think it was in the uh, food line last night at the banquet of the uh, convention and I said well Travis I'm not sure what you have against me but I'm not one to hold grudges and I hope you don't either and I just said that and walked off. That's the only conversation we had uh, while he was here. It's funny because on the National 
head of this organization, and he technically was my guest, and uh, we never spoke, uh, really, and I'm sure he's still as mad as ever. Uh, I get the impression he's a, a very bitter type of person. Uh, I don't know if it's just in general or just about this. I don't know. I, think I don't know him at all. Yeah, I think he's like bitter in general, yeah, Travis Walton in general because of the subject matter. But the funny thing is that he keeps coming out and answering his critics instead of just kind of fading off and saying, look, you know, I, I don't even care anymore. I just want to keep it private. Well, yeah, I think why that's is he it. you have to wonder, why is he here? Uh, he, he got 500 bucks. That's not enough to drive people, you know, to strange deeds. He apparently enjoys the opportunity to continue his uh, campaign to make people believe him. Now, I didn't know that there was a second edition of his book, but he was talking about that. Yeah, Are you aware of that? No, I didn't. Yeah. It must be, I don't know if it has the same title or not, but it's uh, newer and updated, and uh, he's still apparently diligently going around trying to get... uh, Information that will back up his claim, you know, and well, uh, so I guess he cares. You know and, what? It's, uh, I'm, I'm starting to think that it may not just be a hoax. I think he may believe what he's saying, and maybe something really did happen to him. I have no idea. Well, I think something really did happen to him. It's kind of like somebody that goes to a war or has a near-death experience or whatever. It's only happened this one time in his life, and it was the biggest thing that ever happened to him. So he's compelled to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wonder about, and maybe you know more about it than I do, is his relationship with Mike Rogers. Uh, he used to go around with Rogers. When I saw him around Gulf Breeze a few years ago... Yeah, at Roswell, were, too. Huh? At Roswell, too. Yeah. And there are rumors that there's been a falling out between them, but somebody other than me brought this up today, and... He just said, you know, Rogers lives near him, and they're in touch occasionally. But, I mean, there's a missing element there. Something uh, happened, and, again, the rumor is that Rogers is having second thoughts and maybe doesn't think that uh, Travis is telling the truth. I don't know. Either that or he's just sick of it because it didn't actually happen to him. Yeah. Well, that could be, exactly. Uh, I've got an email from a friend of mine here saying, um, ask Jim about his double that Gray Barker talked about and they knew too much about flying saucers. (laughs) I I don't know what to say about that. Uh, That's a doubleganger. Yeah, doppelganger was... uh, A doubleganger. Gongolinger that uh, uh, John Keel, your best friend, said that same thing happened to him uh, uh, while he was investigating uh, the Mothman. Well, it, <laughs> what can I say about that? I mean, really, uh, what what would you like me to say? Um, whatever sounds most dramatic and makes people go, "Ooh, this is much better than Art Bell." <laughs> well, used you've to got be. more listeners right now than Art Bell does. <laughs> I hope so. You're right. I do. Well, so <laughs> there's nothing more. There's nothing more I can do for you. <laughs> you don't want to talk about a double that showed up somewhere? Oh, well, now, there was one thing that we did in the 60s 
Oh, it's a hard thing to explain in, in a few words, but... Take your time. We have an hour. Oh, uh, we do? Yes. You don't do commercials, do you? <laughs> when, you you know, when I, get, when I get to the end of my CD here that's recording this, I yeah. play some music. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll play some flying saucer-themed music. No, I mean, I I, I would uh, like to have uh, a two- or three-minute break, but I don't think that's possible with your show. <laughs> I, I, we can take one if you want, if you want to talk about the doppelglinger when, when we come back. Yeah, well, what will you do in the meanwhile? Uh, play a silly flying saucer song. All right, how long will that take? Uh, probably two or three minutes, maybe. All right, then I'll I'll go away for two or three minutes and come back with more... Strange stuff. Okay, I almost, I, said, I almost said shit, but I, I didn't mean to. Oh, go ahead and say anything you want. All right. Well, uh, okay. I'll, I'll, hey, I'll be uh, back in a couple minutes. Ralph wants to say goodbye. Why? Is he leaving? He's taking off because he's pussing out for some reason. Oh, okay. Well, Hi, Jim. It, it was it was a pleasure seeing you again, sir. Okay. <laughs> Take care. All right. Yeah, thanks. All right. We'll be right back with Jim Mosley here on Radio Mysterioso. Ralph's taking off. Ralph, Ralph, um, uh, if somebody wants to see your film, uh, get a get a look at your film, uh, Whispers from Space, the Gray Barco biopic. How would they do that? Or can they right now? Is it? A, they can't really right now. I guess I could say I'm in negotiations trying to get it out on DVD, and I'd say by the end of the year it'll have it'll have some kind of distribution. Um. Just check the internet, you know, type in whispers from space, whispers from space, and uh, I'm, I'm trying one guy, and if he doesn't work out, I'll go with somebody else, but um, right now, it if you've got a local weirdo video store, I know in LA that Vidiots has got it, Videoactive has got it, and uh, if you're listening uh, in places elsewhere, um, go to your local cult video store, they probably have it. All right, okay. Thanks for having me, Greg. It's always fun. Sure. No, it's always fun having you because you, you ask questions I would never even think of. <laughs> See you, Ralph. Uh, it's Radio Mysterioso. Uh, we'll be right back with Jim Mosley after this strange song called Skyman, which I play all the time, but I love it, by Jeff Godard.
when you're darling Don't be afraid and run away Soon there's going to come the day When all the world will hear them say Children of earth, be not afraid
routine, and so it would be weird, you see, for them to see me at that time of day. And Jack called me about 11 in the morning, and this incident had happened at 8 or so in the morning. And Jack calls me and says, uh, uh, my God, do you know what happened? And I said, Jack, you know, it's, it's only 11 in the morning. What are you calling? What's wrong, you know? And uh, I was home in bed, and I ha actually had gone back to sleep. And he woke me up, and uh, he tells me this story. I said, Jack, I don't know what's wrong, you know. You see something, I don't know what it is. And I, <laughs> I think they finally figured it out. I'm not sure. They ne we never really resolved that, whether it was really me or not. Uh, and that's the way you wanted it. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think that was written up in somebody's book, uh, one of Gray Barker's books. I'm not sure. <laughs> Did he know what had happened? Huh? Did he know what had happened, actually? Did Gray? Uh, uh, Gray? Yeah, did he know what actually had happened? Oh, oh yeah, Gray knew. Uh, I, I'm sure I told him. I don't know if I told him before or after. You're fading out again. How's that? Yeah. Keep, keep your face into the microphone or okay. whatever you have to well, do. Well, I have it. to hold up the, apparently hold up the phone because the, uh, the, uh, send back to you isn't, how's that? No? All right, well, I can hear you now. Okay, you can hear me fine? Well, sort of, just okay, do the well, best you can. All right, sorry about that. Uh, are, are, are the people hearing me, do you suppose? Yes, well, I, what I was doing was checking email to make sure I wasn't getting a message such as... Oh, I, there's a terrible thing going on here. I'm, I'm getting a ring on another line. What do I do? Uh, go ahead and answer it. Well, I'm, I'm not sure how to do that. Oh. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> then don't answer it. Can you hear me there, Jim? Not as loud as before. Okay, wait just a second. How about that? A little louder. How about that? Yeah. That's much better. Yes. And we, we were talking about your doppelganger, but you finished that story. Yes, I did. We were actually earlier talking about, in, in mixed company, actually, if you want to call that amongst UFO researchers or people that are interested or whatever, about James Randi. You want to talk <coughs> a little bit about him and your, 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 uh, your, your favorite nemesis? Well, now, uh, unless you have a few million dollars stashed away to pay the libel suit, I, I don't think I want to talk about James Randi. Really? I, uh, That's I funny because I've played the tapes of him, uh, him with the with the boys on the on the uh, uh, payphone at least yeah, a couple yeah. of times. Well, I think we were talking about that in person earlier, and uh, my goodness, uh, <laughs> well, how about that, <laughs> uh, he'll he'll uh, pass on to his just reward eventually, and after that, I'll probably have more to say. All right. Okay. Well, I, I won't force you into it. I, 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 uh, I mean, it would be a lot of fun. But how many listeners do you have? Do you have any idea? Uh, I think right now I have around ten or fifteen, and then um, who knows how many more going out through other means. You mean ten or fifteen listeners? Yeah, but then there's there's uh, the it's rebroadcast in another format, so other people can hear it too. Maybe hundreds. And how many of, uh, are are involved in that rebook? Maybe hundreds. Maybe how tens. Many? Maybe tens. Maybe hundreds. Who knows? Yeah. 
Well, I don't know. Randy has spies everywhere. I'm, I, he's got me paranoid. I, uh, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll tell you the, the other things uh, about Randy. Sure, that please. You do with this, but uh, I was on his radio show. He was on WR in New York for a, a little over a year in about 1964 or five in that period, mm-hmm. and uh, he. And I got along very well at that time. I became a regular on his show, and that was uh, broadcast on uh, 50,000 watts all through the East. And it was a, a good show to be on. I mean, you could get listeners, and you could get feedback by mail and all the good things. And uh, for that period of time, I was on on the average a couple of times a week. I became a regular, and... Uh, we were friends, and at uh, one point we went down to Ecuador together. Uh, he had an interest in treasure hunting. In fact, he did some. Uh, mine was illegal. I don't know how his was, but uh, it might also have been illegal for all I know. Anyway, uh, there were other aspects involved. Uh, we kept in touch for a long time after that. We were friends, but... Over a period of time, he got more solidified, I guess you'd say, in his disbelief in anything uh, as far as the paranormal or UFOs were concerned. At the time that he had his radio show, he had pilots on at times, not necessarily when I was there also, but uh, at different times he would have pilots on talking about different things, and he would... Uh, as he told me then, talk to them on the air, ask them if they'd had, ever had any UFO sighting, and they would say no on the air, but then during the coffee break, they would talk about sightings that they or friends of theirs had had. Mm-hmm. And that impressed Randy as uh, believing at that time, tentatively accepting the possibility that there were UFOs that were seen by pilots. That's as far as he ever got into it, that he did have an element or a degree of belief in the subject. And then later, I guess he discovered his shtick. Uh, It's very complex to be like I am now. Uh, You know, I believe most of this, but a little of that and not too much of that. And, you know, to try to explain a complex philosophical uh, position, he was trying to earn a living, and I guess he decided... He was on the side of the skeptics and not on the side of the believers. And at some point, he just uh, became a very uh, extreme debunker, and that was part of what uh, ended our friendship. And then uh, uh, years later, when uh, these alleged tapes that you referred to came out, I uh, had things to say in my magazine about that, and he threatened to sue, and then I just... uh, didn't say much more about it at that time. Uh, so as of now, he lives in Florida in Plantation, which is near Fort Lauderdale, which in turn is near Key West, or very near. But we have no contact at all. Yeah, there may be and, a reason uh, for living in Key West, huh? Pardon me? There may be a reason he lived. He moved near there. Uh, what would that be? Well, uh, 
since you're not going to say it, I will. Um, what he got caught with doing apparently was allegedly. Oh, 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 oh! There was a reason that he uh, sold his house up in New, in New Jersey. Yes, I think so. Yeah. He, what he what happened was he apparently somebody stole a tape out of his house. I will go into it, Jim. You don't have to say anything about it. I, I, there's nobody to sue here. Um, he had uh, allegedly um, had made tapes of him soliciting sexual favors from underage and maybe some overage young men. And um, there was a controversy with that. It went back and forth. And he's actually never taken anybody to court over it. As soon as somebody mentions it, it's, it's one of those, it seems like that Lyndon Johnson thing where you have to make somebody deny it. If he has to get into court and talk about it, then, there, then he really does have to defend himself against the, this kind of charge. And um, well, it, 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 I'll just say this much: it gets very complicated. Um, Eldon Bird and uh, Uri Geller sued him for a number of statements that he made oh, 10, 15 years ago when all this was going on. And there was a series of lawsuits. Uh-huh. Uh, but that was one element, and there were many other elements. Uh, Randy still says he never paid any money out in damages to Bird or Geller, but nevertheless, he spent a fortune on uh, lawyers yeah. defending himself from a total of five, six, seven cases. Uh, when Geller really finally decided to do it, he just threw the book at Randy and sued him in various places, including Japan. I mean, there was... Uh, uh, a bunch of suits that were going on almost simultaneously yeah. in different uh, areas. And uh, what happened was, number one, he blew the 200 and some thousand dollars he had gotten from the MacArthur Fund. He was the choice of the year in whatever year for the genius of the year, if you would call it that, from the yeah. MacArthur Fund. And that's an annual thing like the Pulitzer Prize or whatever that is paid out annually, and uh, it was quite an honor that that happened to him. Uh, he has no degrees in anything, but uh, he was sharp enough in whatever he was doing to impress the uh, committee enough to give him this award. Well, he spent all that money and probably more defending himself from all these lawsuits, and then it all finally died out. The upshot was that uh, PSYCOP, the uh, Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, which he was a important wheel in, finally became upset with him because he screwed up their libel insurance Yeah. because he was losing these cases. And uh, so they lost money, <coughs> and he lost money, but none of the money went directly to... Bird or Geller, so he felt some victory in that. A great deal of money was wasted, and nothing was ever proven conclusively or disproven, and then finally the whole syndrome came to an end about ten years ago. I, I've got more documentation on this at home, but yeah, it, I would not ever want to accuse Randy of anything. <laughs> well, that was people suing him for, for, for him accusing them of various and sundry. The funny thing he said was two things he said. One about Eldon Bird. He, the reason Eldon Bird had, I think, he had uh, sued him. He was kind of a, a, a psychic person that said that uh, his his grandfather was admirable, admirable, Admiral Bird, 
and he knew about the hollow earth at the South Pole and all this. But anyway, Randy had said he's probably the shopping mall molester or something like that. Well, no, no, you're confusing two different things. Oh, really? There was, there's Elvin Bird, and then and then there's uh, Harley Bird. Oh, my God, Harley two birds Bird of a feather. was the uh, alleged nephew of Admiral Bird. That had nothing to do with Randy at all. Uh, Harley Bird was a pretender to the claim of being a legitimate nephew of Admiral Byrd, and okay. Harley Bird made all kinds of crazy claims about the hollow earth. Okay. Uh, that has nothing to do with Eldon Bird, who was the uh, cousin. Okay. Okay, so that's the mix-up there. There's uh, two different birds. Right. Uh, they're all birds of a feather, but they're not the same. Right. Okay. okay. Uh, thanks for clearing that. I, I was not aware. Yeah, the other thing no. I, uh, Randy never had any interaction with Harley Bird. Harley Just... Bird was a fascinating character. He forged a uh, letter uh, from Admiral Bird. He just—you could see that the signature is totally different in, in uh, density and uh, everything else from the body of the letter, but uh, something from Admiral Byrd uh, authorizing him to do this, that, and the other. Well, it turns out, uh, from all I was ever able to find out, that Harley Byrd was not any relative uh, at all of uh, of uh, Admiral Byrd. Uh, but yet, Harley Byrd believed in the hollow earth, and, and uh, if he's still alive, he must still be pushing it out here in California, uh-huh. um, as far as the hollow earth and so forth. But that has nothing whatever to do with Randy or Eldenburg. All right. He had some liberal views. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he was a communist, but uh, he he stuck up for... Uh, this was one of the good things he did, and uh, I hope this goes into the court papers as something on my side. He <laughs> did stick up for kids who were being framed by the police in his hometown of Rumson, New Jersey, when the police would try to plant marijuana on these kids in the 60s uh-huh. to have an excuse to haul them off to jail. And Randy was aware of this and caught the police at, at that uh, type of activity. He made an issue of it and, of course, made uh, an enemy of his local uh, police department because the uh, proper middle class view was that it didn't matter if these kids were framed they were smoking marijuana and saying things against the government so whatever you did to them it didn't matter and Randy didn't take that view and uh, he he stuck let's say that he liked kids and maybe he loved kids that's as far as I'll go I see well he's he's a a, um, whatever Whatever book they use, uh, book-thumping humanist, and I think that goes along with his view of... You're fading out again. I'm sorry to keep bugging you. How's that? Uh, but you've got to keep that level. All right, sorry. I think he's a he's a uh, doctrinaire humanist, and I think that goes along with that his view of the world. I think he has a healthy mistrust of authority, although he he's the he seems to be want to be the authority on scientific realism but we'll we'll leave randy now and i'll keep the phone here so you can actually hear me uh i got another question from another <clears throat> sorry from a listener he said ask him about psychedelics at giant rock in the 60s in the late 60s did it be, just become a psychedelic event for a while 
Well, I, I, I suppose so, yes. <laughs> Did, well, were you, you there? You don't want me to admit to anything on a... I'm asking you to give a report. Even if you weren't on the radio just talking to one person, I wouldn't uh, talk about that kind of thing. I'm totally paranoid. Don't you know that? Why are you paranoid? Because we're living in a... (laughs) uh, We're living under unusual conditions in in the present administration, I would think. Uh Mm. Uh-huh. Somebody... uh, handed me a, b- a bumper sticker today, uh, maybe it was you, it said, uh, I love America as a country, but we'd make a lousy uh, empire, something like that. <laughs> yeah. I think any country has found out they make a lousy empire, because eventually everybody they've made an empire out of gets mad and they gang up on the bully. Yeah. Well, that may happen to us, but I'm a, I'm a loyal citizen and I'm not a... Iraqi or anything like that. I was born here. I'm Anglo-Saxon. Uh, and you shouldn't I, have any problem. Uh, well, you never know. They could get you anyhow, but it'll be harder in my case. You're, you're trying to make it harder, you mean? Well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm behaving myself. Yes. I'm not doing anything that they can object to. I'm not saying anything they can object to. So, uh, therefore, I should be able to live the rest of my life in peace. I hope I do. We're living in difficult times. Jim, I've got friends such as uh, Ken Thomas who writes to you occasionally to saucer smear who have said... Yes, I I know Ken Thomas. Yeah, he's said very inflammatory and conspiratorial things constantly. But not in saucer smear, I hope. No, no, constantly for the last probably 15 years or so or more, and he's never even had anybody call him and tell him to stop it. Oh, but but he's enjoyed the paranoia, and I'm sure he's hoping somebody will call him. I, I, can't, I can't believe that Ken Thomas has never been persecuted. You know, this phone is getting stranger. I'm hearing feedback again in the earphone. Uh, I don't know. I think it's the phone here in the motel, but... It it's might very be. strange. Can you still hear me? Worse. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Ah, I, I don't know what's happening here. I'm, uh, as I speak, uh, this is weird. Uh, as I speak into the microphone, uh, the uh, talking part of the phone, I'm hearing static in the ear part of the phone. What does that mean? Probably. Does that mean I'm drunk or what? Uh, who, who knows? Maybe your ear has static. You don't have a hearing aid, do you? No, I don't have a hearing aid, no. No. I can hear you fine, and I, I hear a little bit of static here, but it's just because I have the gain turned up so high so we mm. can hear you. Well, anyway, so you're saying that Ken Thomas has never been persecuted? Not persecuted, not called, not warned, nothing. In fact, well, then, it, uh, you know, that's even worse. That means that nothing he's ever said <laughs> disturbs anybody, so it's all nonsense. And uh, I don't know which is worse. He's been warned by people he's talked to, you know, for books and things, but he's never had somebody from the outside call him up and say, you better cut it out. Mm. And the funny thing is, one of the things he wrote about is a guy who was told to cut it out two or three or four different times, and he didn't, and they found him suicided in a, in a hotel in, in West Virginia. Oh, uh, I've heard about this. Yeah, yeah. Um, Danny Casalero. 
Mm-hmm. So he's hovering around that same subject matter, yet nobody's ever told him to cut it out. So who who knows what that well, means? Well, I've never been told to cut it out, but I've been uh, very careful. I. My opinion, which would uh, infuriate the people here at the convention if I said it in, in public here, but I'll tell you. Please. I, I suppose we're all so far from the truth and so far from knowing legitimate military secrets and so far from having any ability to uh, disrupt or disturb uh, the existing government and so far removed from anything that they could worry about, uh, that they don't even bother to persecute us. And that means that we're out of the loop and that we're just, uh, <laughs> right. you know, playing with ourselves. You know, that's what I would say. Yeah, well, just just because the government's paying attention to you doesn't mean that you're on to the, onto the secret of UFOs. You might be on to the secret of something else that's far more important to them than yeah. lights flying around, like, like a satellite well, I, system I, or, had, you know, radar or something. Experiences with the government. Are you there? Yes. Okay. I think the most amusing one was uh, I think when President Carter was running for re-election, uh, whatever year, something in the seventies, right? Uh, Seventy-six uh, or eight. Huh? Seventy-six or eight. Yeah. Seventy-six. Right. It must I been because eighty was Reagan came sure. in. I decided to send a little letter to the main candidate as to their views on saucers. A lot of people have done that. Right. So I, uh, yeah, Carter was running for re-election. I sent a letter to the White House asking his views on flying saucers, and I got back one of these ridiculous letters written by uh, the third assistant, you know, White House uh, right. uh, press person or whatever. Ever the, the title was, I don't remember. Letter Saying, answerer. Uh, you, you know, it's it's the form letter. It it, it as long as as long, as long as the letter isn't threatening, you get the same letter back. I'm sure. And it said, you know, uh, thank you for your uh, letter and uh, your concern about this, these issues. And certainly, we are aware of the same issues that you are, and we're <laughs> working hard to. Uh, achieve whatever goals you have, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Totally impersonal and uh, impossible, making no sense, signed by nobody. Uh-huh. And uh, so I thought that was kind of amusing, and I didn't expect anything better than that. I've had better rapport with other presidents, but that's another story. And And so I printed this letter on the back page of Saucer Smear, I forget if it was called Smear at that time or not. And uh, this is a little bit detailed, but I hope your listeners can stick with me. Please. I put it on the back page of an eight-page newsletter. It didn't take up the entire page. So at the top of the page, and I never thought this out philosophically. I guess I should have. I put this thing that you've seen many times, not recently perhaps, but in a greeting card stores, there's a, a little thing of stick figures in different positions. Uh, have you, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, huh? In compromising positions. Yeah, stick figures. 
Uh-huh. And and it, it it runs maybe five or six inches, you know, across the page, so it fitted perfectly on the same back page where I put this stupid letter that I got back from Carter's 15th assistant uh, letter answerer, right? Yeah. And and that's all I did. That was the extent of my uh, disloyalty. And uh, I got well, there was a instigator. Somebody, it's too long to go into a long story, but somebody in the field that didn't like me uh, sent uh, several complaints to the White House about this, that I was uh, defaming the president or something, or that I appeared to be a menace. I don't know what they did, or I don't know what they said, but that was their idea of being mean or confusing or whatever they felt they were doing, and eventually I got a visit from the uh, postal authorities, and uh, they were investigating me as a threat to the president. (laughs) Now, that's kind of odd. Uh, And the threat was having the pornography on the same page as uh, this reproduction of of the letter. Uh Now, what they had done improperly. If this was page eight, uh, and they didn't send the whole issue to the White House. They made it look like this was like a handbill that I was sending around and making a, a production out of. It was just, you know, a thought of the moment. These two things fit together, so I'll put them on the same page. Right. And, and the postal authorities came and wanted to find out if I was a threat to the president. <laughs> and I convinced them that I wasn't. Didn't you give them a few copies of the magazine? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, I uh, I don't want to go into a whole ego trip, but I was living in a tiny little town right outside of New, of, of New York City, and I owned a lot of property and knew the police chief and the mayor and everybody, and I just... Uh, overwhelmed uh, these inspectors with my stability and uh, the fact that it was impossible for me to be doing anything wrong and they just left and we all laughed and it was just very pleasant but uh, I don't know the people in Guantanamo are not having a pleasant time at the other end of the spectrum I guess Yeah. are you afraid that you'll end up in Guantanamo if you say the wrong thing? Well, I don't know. I'm I'm a citizen, and, and they'd have to uh, think about that. What happened to the guy who was the American citizen that they caught fighting for the Taliban? Uh, where is he being held? I forget. Uh, John Walker Lind? Yeah. Uh, I think he went through a court uh, trial, and he's in prison now for life, yeah, I believe. Where? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they had one of those secret tribunals that they were supposed to have, or yeah. it was a public trial. Of course, his parents were pushing for a you know a, a regular public trial, uh, uh, even if it was for treason, um, because that's the way it's right. normally done. Even though the uh, Ashcroft and those people were trying to change it to everything to a secret military tribunal, meaning they can you know accuse anybody of anything. It doesn't have to re- be reported in the papers. Um, right. But I'm not well, sure. I, I don't think that anything that I've done is going to merit that. Uh, but I, I think uh, far from you it. You don't Joe. know these days. You, you really don't know. I, I've I've had terrible experiences just getting on and off airplanes. I mean, you know, and I I don't fear 
the the attackers. I don't fear the Arabs or whoever are trying to destroy us. I I fear the people that I see with guns and 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 authority every time I go into an airport. And mm-hmm. I know if I think or say anything wrong as I'm going through the routine there, I can be uh, swept away into oblivion. I don't know. It's it's it, it's a terrible. Uh, world that we live in, I'm not being totally facetious. No, I don't think you are either. Why did, what do you mean by if you think something wrong? Oh, I'm just kidding you about that. Oh, all right. But they're working on a thing, and this is interesting. Uh, you know who John Alexander is, Yes, right? of course. He used to be uh, in the uh, ostensibly connected with the remote viewing program, and then he was involved with um, pushing non-lethal weapons and psychotronic uh, weapons, etc. Right, right. Well, he, uh, Carl Flock, and you know who he is, a friend of mine and, and my co-author. Yes. Uh, I haven't talked to Alexander that recently, but I talked to him now and then. He is involved with a company. I kid you not, it's something uh, more advanced than a lie detector thing. That they're they're going to hit you with this as you go into uh, the airport trying to get on your plane, and it has the ability, I suppose, not to read your thoughts, but to to vibe out your attitude. If you have the wrong attitude uh, in specific ways that these, uh, you know, dials, etc., can uh, determine, then you may not get on your plane. If you fail the preliminary test, you are then questioned by human beings, and they'll, they'll decide whether the machine was wrong or so forth. I mean, you know, by the time it's all over, you miss your plane. Yeah. Uh, that's not here yet, but he is trying to bring this company public, and uh, eventually, if they think it works, which it probably doesn't, then it would be another test to go through in the airport. And I, I can see the future. You know, you can spend. Please hours allow. For, just yeah. Going please allow one day. Test before you ever get on an airplane. Please allow. Uh, please arrive for flight one day before a scheduled time. You're fading out again. I said, please arrive for flight one day before scheduled time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about it. Uh, you you said that it, it that the machine could figure out what you're what you were thinking. Is that just through walking around, or would they, you have to say something? Yeah, well, or? in other words, it it it, uh, it, uh, it it's the next generation, I guess, to a lie detector test. Uh huh. It, it does more than that. I don't know what more it does, and I don't know how it does it. Probably does but it with software. Ideally, except for po- false positives, which they'll have in- endlessly, yeah. it, it uh, weeds out the people who have evil motives as they get on the plane. They probably weed out people that were like in fights with their wives and stuff, too. Well, that's, that's what I told Flock when he told me about this. I said, how do you distinguish with this machine or any other machine the guy who is terrified because he's in the airport because of the whole paranoia of the scene uh, from from the guy who has a bomb in his suitcase. I mean, mm-hmm. they're both going to have the same kind of waves, I would think, you know. I mean, two people paranoid for totally different reasons. I don't know how 
they'll distinguish between the loyal paranoid like me and the disloyal paranoid. You see. Well, I, I'm sure that won't be a problem until the the court cases start piling up. But then again, it'll be secret trials, so it won't matter anyway. Yeah, well, no, you can't. Uh, no, you can't beat the system. I, I'm just glad that I, uh, you know, I'm reaching the end of my time here. I I don't think well of the future. I mean, I didn't mean to get into all of this on your on your radio show. I, I had a person email me and ask you to get into it on this show, so that, that's what we're doing. Probably. I that's had somebody email me and ask you to get onto it on the show, which is why we're doing it. Oh, all right. I didn't know that. Yes. But oh, I, it I was actually email. Miles. Uh, I get email here. Oh, oh. Who who emailed you? Miles Lewis, the the uh, the guy in Texas who was. Oh yeah. Well, oh he uh, he suggested that you put me on the show. Uh, no, he suggested we talk about um, this stuff in the airports. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, oh, that's fine. Yeah, I and, he's, and he says hello too in his email. <laughs> well, of course, uh, I, I think we may have talked about this either on the air or, or earlier. Miles Lewis was the one that was going to hold our national UFO conference for 2001, and it got uh, got bombed out by 9/11. So uh, yeah, it was supposed to start on the 12th or the 14th of September. Yeah, exactly. And, and nobody could make it over there, so he he lost his shirt. Well, yes, it was it was a very uh, unfortunate thing. And as I've told you, I was on my way from Key West to. Uh, Miami, when the first uh, tower blew up in the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. And when it got to Miami, the second one blew up, and then we couldn't fly anywhere. Right. So I stayed in Miami for two nights and finally got a uh, uh, rental car back to Key West. And that was all that was for that. And then we held the annual convention somewhere else a month or two later. Unfortunately, so so we we didn't lose a year. Oh, among your listeners, may, there might be someone that would like to uh, be the sponsor for the uh, 2004 National UFO Conference. If so, have them get in touch with you, and then you get in touch with me. Sure. Uh, you said that you were warning me, or at least you were warning the uh, readership of Saucer News that this might be the last one. Well, it might be unless somebody comes forward, yeah. How many years have you said that, though? Well, I say that every year, but this year I mean it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, how long is the National UFO Conference been going? Forty years? Forty years. Huh. Uh, do you count the things like the science Congress of Scientific Ufologists or whatever that used to be in New York? Yeah, going all the, by, all the way back to the beginning of it. That was the original name. That's very good that you would know that. Uh -huh. The original name was that, and then we changed it, And uh, but the beginning of it was in Cleveland, Ohio in 1964. Rick Hilberg, who's still alive and active, uh, was one of the original sponsors, and another guy named Al Greenfield, who's alive and not active, and another guy named uh, Al Manick, who died about three years ago. Mm -hmm. They were the original sponsors or founders of it, and then I came in, uh, I was a speaker from the beginning, but I didn't become president for life until 1971, so I've been finding uh, 
the news for this each year since then, and uh, it's always worked. I don't know if it'll work again, but uh, if somebody really wants to try, I'd be glad to talk to them. Uh, do, do you have any idea why, why this huge disinterest in, in ufology and how, why all the abductions and everything associated with it has like, dropped off exceedingly dramatically since, since, strangely enough, September 11th of 2001. Well, yeah, either, again, uh, it's been a long day, uh, either with you or someone else, I answered that very question. And, I think uh, it was with me, but I wanted you to repeat it. Yeah, okay, fine. Um, people have been more concerned since then with uh, real unavo unavoidable problems and... Uh, life-threatening problems and uh, whatever the UFOs represent even in the uh, view of more extreme people I mean the there are very few of any people that think that the saucers are going to invade earth and take us over and make us into slaves or kill us all or something that's uh, not a realistic uh, possibility <laughs> and so I think people more so now than before are concerned about reality, which is extremely serious. Yeah. The worst thing that you can do is uh, take security as a joke, because as I think I mentioned way back earlier in this conversation, the government has no sense of humor. I'll, 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 I'll leave you with this, and then if I may, I'll just comp out. Here. Okay. Uh, I got caught with a terrible thing coming through security on my way out here paper clips. Oh, no. There were paper clips in the pocket of my coat and rubber bands, but they didn't object to the rubber bands. Yeah, but you could clips. shoot the paper clips with the rubber bands. Don't they remember high school? Uh? You could shoot the paper clips with the rubber bands. Don't they remember junior high school? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, you, you could do that, but what came to my mind then, and because I'm a mature individual not wanting to go to Guantanamo, mm -hmm. I didn't say what I was thinking. The paper clips are for eye gouging. You see, that's what the Arabs do. Not with paper clips, but uh, it's big in Arab uh, society. <laughs> eye gouging. We don't do that much here. But yeah, uh, you, you couldn't use, say, your fingers. Pardon me? <laughs> I guess you couldn't use your fingers. Well, well, you could use your fingers. Yeah, but uh, easier than that, perhaps, if you were a mature eye gouger and wanted to try it in a different way, I think paper clips uh, could, could, could be used. In other words, there's nothing yeah. that cannot be conceived as a weapon. Right. And uh, if, if you take your underpants in, in your suitcase, that can be used to strangle somebody. <laughs> How far does it go? Uh, That's what I want to know, and uh, I've, I've not far, found apparently. out. Well, I hope you never have to find out. Hmm? I hope you never have to find that out. Well, I guess if you travel naked with no baggage, there's not that much they can do to you, but... Uh, they can stick their fingers up your butt. Exposure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's not treason, so you're probably better off. Yeah, or, you can, or you'll, have a, you'll have some kind of instrument in, in your body cavities. <laughs> Listen, may I get off now? i yes. got to get up at 5.30. All right, uh, Jim. Thanks so much for staying on for so long. I thought you'd conk out a lot sooner. Well, I, 
I uh, I enjoy sounding. Uh, yeah, I enjoy hearing the sound of my own voice. Well, don't we and, all? Uh, I appreciate. I want to just end with this. Uh, you're a great guy, and uh, you've been extremely friendly uh, in person and in letters and recent times uh, or all all the time and i'm uh, very glad to know you and be on your show and please keep in touch i will thanks so much jim all right you have a safe trip back wow now we go back to normal listening well, not talking into the phone because jim had to listen to me that way that was uh, jim mosley publisher of saucer smear and a, been studying ufos and mostly people that surround the ufo subject for Nigh on 50 years or so, uh, and uh, we've got about five minutes left. How about some wacky music that probably doesn't have to do with flying saucers? If you want to actually call in and say something here in the last five minutes, you can call 213-252-0998. If you type in saucer smear, I believe on Google or something like that, um, uh, very quickly you will be able to find the website that has uh, his very humorous and insightful um, zine that's been going for years and years and years and years. And you could probably maybe beca even become a, uh, a, a glorious non-subscriber, as he calls it. Take them. 